Today is the sixth part of a seven-part sermon series that we're in titled Made for More. We are going to look at the importance of staying focused and how to stay focused on the bread of life. Who's the bread of life? Jesus. Jesus is our bread of life. He is our provider. He is our sustainer. And the reason we're looking at this today is because sometimes it's really easy to lose sight of this. And oftentimes what happens is when we lose sight of this, we, we slowly drift away. And when things kind of blow up, we're like, I did, it's a surprise to us. And we act like we didn't see it coming. But really, it was a gradual thing that was happening. And then when the, when, when the mess happened, it was a surprise. And so how do we stay in a place where we kind of guard ourselves from that happening, where we, we have guardrails and we have things around us that keeps us from, from forgetting to rely on the bread of life. And so to, to lay the groundwork for today's message, we are going to go back and look at a story about the Israelites. So we'll read a little bit from the book of Exodus, chapter 16, and then I'll put some context to what we just read so we're going to be in Exodus chapter 16, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then we'll skip down to verse 13. So here's how this story starts out. Then the whole community of Israel, this is 2 million plus people, set out for Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. Now, the wilderness of sin is just a short uh, abbreviation for Sinai. That's what that means. It doesn't mean anything about sin as we know it. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron, their leaders. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food, and, then, and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. Now let's jump down to verse 13. That evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it, they asked each other. They had no idea what it was, and Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you to eat. So, here we have our introduction to what is called manna. Manna was the bread from heaven that God miraculously fed the Israelites as they wandered around in what is called the wilderness. And uh, further down in this same chapter in verse 31, in the New Living Translation, it says that the manna tasted like honey wafers. So this wasn't just your, your run-of-the-mill, uh, you know, dry wheat bread. It had a nice flavor to it. 
tasted like honey wafers. And so in case you're not familiar with the story of the Israelites, I'll give a little context into, into where we are at right now. So the book of Exodus, this, this book that we just read this passage out of, is all about God's power. And it's all about his provision and his care and his, his, the way he wants his relationship to be with his people. That's us, and also, at the time, the Israelites. He chose the Israelites to be his people at the time. Now, the Israelites were held captive to the Egyptians for 400 years. They were slaves to the Egyptians. I don't, I don't even like using that word, but that's what they were. They were slaves to the Egyptians. They, they made the, the, the mortar and the, and the concrete and stuff to build the pyramids. Now, 400 years. So, this is a dark time. Can you think of, of like 400 years for us? Like, that's a long time. But in that time, God was doing something with his chosen people, the Israelites. In that time, he was growing the population of the Israelites. They didn't realize it, but he was working on their behalf as they were being held captive. And then God chooses this insecure man by the name of Moses. Moses was uh, uh, an Israelite. He was a Hebrew. He was, he was born into a Hebrew family, and, 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 but raised as an Egyptian. So he knew both cultures. One day he's out in the fields, whatever, and, and he sees this bush on fire, and he goes over to look at it, and it starts speaking to him. And it's God Almighty speaking to Moses. And he says, Moses, I want you to lead my people out from under the rule of the Egyptians. Moses said, I can't do that. There's no way. I mean, no, got to be somebody else. And they have this back and forth, and God finally gets a little upset with him. He says, sorry, Moses, I chose you. But since, you know, and Moses, he, he stuttered, he wasn't confident, he just didn't feel like he was the guy for the task. Listen, if God calls you to do something, do it. Because he, you know what? The best place to be when God calls you to do something is kind of a little insecure because now you know you're moving in the might of God. You know that God is doing something in you and through you for that. And so God said, all right, listen, Moses, here's what I'll do. I'll bring your brother Aaron alongside of you, and you guys can do this together. All right, but I need you to go to the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, and tell him, to let my people go. Well, this didn't work out real well. The Pharaoh wasn't happy about this, and he was not going to let the Israelites go. And so after some back and forth and some victories with the Israelites, finally the Pharaoh said, go. The plagues of Egypt, there were plagues that God brought down on the nation of Egypt, and Pharaoh, he couldn't take it anymore. He said, just go. Get out of here. Go. You got to go. Now, these plagues were very interesting because what they were was each plague was the God in heaven defeating each God that the Egyptians worshipped. Now, he was saying, listen, there is nobody under heaven that's more powerful than me. And so the Israelites finally flee. And now, there's like two million of them, and they flee, all right? Now, here they are. We're picking up in this story here, and it is one month into their journey of freedom. 
They've been traveling now for four or five weeks, and they're heading towards what's called the promised land. It's the land of Canaan right now. It's a little section of land that was filled with these pagan nations, which is now known as the nation of Israel. Now, when looking on this map of their journey from where they came from Egypt to where they needed to go to the promised land should have taken two to three weeks. But they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? Why 40 years? Part of it was because they were more concerned about their destination than they were about the transformation process that God wanted to do within them. And really, if we're being honest, if I'm being honest, we aren't much different than the Israelites. I'm, I'm an impatient person. Like, I want, right? I mean, I mean we're all a little impatient. Like, if I put something in the microwave and I hit one minute, I am, at 56 seconds, I'm opening the door. Right? I mean, who else does that? It can't just be me. Yeah. I hit that cancel button and open that door. <laughs> I've tried to fool myself and do 56. And I'm at 50, I'm opening the door. <laughs> but see, God always wants, God has a destination. When, when we have a destination for a journey in life or a season in life, there's a goal to be met. But it is in the process of getting there that God wants to do something in us. And that's what was going on here. See, see, God isn't as consumed with the destination as we are. He cares more about the person we become during the journey than he does for the destination. The destination is the end point. But how we get there is what God's concerned about. Because he cares more about us he cares more about our character. He cares more about our well-being, our integrity. He cares that we grow more and more into a reflection of him to those around us. That's his main concern with us. And listen to this psalm in Psalm 103. If you struggle with God, and maybe like, like, I feel like he's condemning me for something or, or he's just not happy with me or, 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 or he just doesn't want me to advance in life or, or whatever. Listen to this passage in Psalm 103 and we'll start in verse 7. He revealed his character to Moses. This is, this is about God. King David wrote this psalm. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. That's the character of God. If you struggle with the character of God, make this a life passage for you right now. Take a screenshot of it. Keep it on your phone. Read it. Meditate on it. Pray about it. Talk to God about it. 
You know, God, I, I, I read what this is saying, but I, I don't feel it. I struggle with this. I, 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 this is bothering me because I just, I'm conflicted over this. Talk to God about it. And those things will start coming to life in your life. He'll begin to change your thoughts on things. And he'll begin showing up in your life in a way that you never thought he would. I, I, I feel this with all my heart that that's what would happen. And this right here in this psalm, this passage, this is the God who led the Israelites through the wilderness. And he is the same God who leads us through our journeys. This right here. Even though we mess up and we're going to, he doesn't punish us forever, stay angry with us forever. He may have to correct us. He may, he's got a rod and a staff. He may have to give us a little whack here and there. But he's going to love on us, and he's going to, he's going to nurture us, and he's going to build us up, and he's going, to feed, he's going to feed us spiritually, and he's going to get us where we need to be. See, God understands that in our journeys in life, there are going to be uncertainties that pop up. We're going to have doubts. We're going to have wonderings. We're going to, we're going to have these uncertainties in life. And it is during these uncertain times that we need to be honest with God about how we feel. Because he cares. He cares about our anxieties. He cares about our worries. He cares about our needs. He cares about everything in our lives from the very least to the most complex. He cares. He is our provider and our sustainer. And James said it best in James chapter 1. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Anything in my life that is good that happens, anything, I don't give anybody credit for but God, because I know that that is God moving on my behalf. Maybe he's, maybe he's opening a door. Maybe he just wants to bless. Maybe he's just... But it is God who rains down anything that is good and perfect. It's coming from him in heaven. And this part about he created all the lights in the heavens, you know, when you live in the city, you don't really get to see all of that. When you go out to the country, you really get to see it. And when I go down to Brazil in the Amazon... And it's dark because it gets dark. You, 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 the, the heavens are incredible. He created all of that, and nothing is the same. And because he cares in this way, he desires that we have an authentic relationship with him. Because that's what it's all about, an authentic relationship. That's what he wants with us because no matter how much we put on that happy face and we pretend that things are going well when they're not he wants to be there for us you know there's a there's a phrase there's a saying and it's it's i'm sure if we found enough worship songs we could we could find it there but but it's goes something like this leave your worries at the door leave your cares at the door leave your sin at the door leave your anger at the door leave your troubles at the door and come in and enjoy the presence of God. You know what I think? I don't think God wants you to leave that stuff at the door. Because what are you going to do when you leave here? 
You're going to find your thing and pick it up and take it home with you. I say, bring it in here with you. Bring it with you. And I, I had, this, I had this kind of this, this visual image of, of bringing my worries into the church with me on a Sunday morning and setting them in the seat beside me so that Jesus can take care of them. And he'll minister to me because I'm being honest and authentic with my relationship, in my relationship with him. God, I've got some things that are just weighing me down. I've got worries. I've got cares. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I don't know how I'm going to pay the electric bill. I don't know how I'm going to pay rent. I don't know how I'm going to pay the mortgage. got this car payment. I've got friction with my spouse. i got my kids. i got this. i got that. i got my job. What am I going to do? i got these issues that I'm struggling with. What am I going to do? And then when you come to church, you leave it at the door and you come in and you put your happy face on Bring it in with you, I think is what God is saying. And let me minister to you in your area of need. And I will take it from you, he says. I will help you with this, he says. Because God desires to bless us. That's what everything is all about with God, with Jesus. It's about blessing us. Everybody thinks that, that when you're a Christian, you've got to live by these parameters and this list of do's and don'ts. Man, you know what? In there is freedom. It's not a constraining list of do's and don'ts. Matter of fact, it's, it's a small list of do's and don'ts, and it's a bunch of lists of, if you do this, I will do that. And God wants to get us in a better place so that he can bless us. When we don't allow God to help us, with the obstacles of the journey, what happens? They become bigger and our perception of the truth gets distorted because we're so focused on our obstacle, on our issues, on our stuff. See, it was only one month into their journey that the Israelites, the entire community, over two million began complaining about their leaders, Moses and Aaron. In, Ex in, uh, in uh, verse 3, in that, that passage we read in Exodus, here's what they said. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around with pots filled with meat and all the bread we wanted, but now you brought us out into this wilderness to starve us all to death. They're making it sound like they left the greatest of feasts and the best of worlds to go live in the wilderness. They didn't have it good like they're making it sound like. Their perception of the truth is distorted because they're focused on an obstacle. They're focused on things that they want to focus on and not their creator. And let me tell you how distorted their perception got. Listen, first of all, this didn't just happen overnight, this complaining. And it didn't just happen with two million people all at once. It started with somebody. And then somebody else said, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. And it grew. Isn't it much easier to sit around and complain than to actually do something and make it happen? You know, I'm sure that they were hungry. Okay? I, I get it. I'm sure they, they were probably, their stomachs were growling. I'm sure there was a little frustration in there. I mean, it's two million people. I mean, it, it's hard to lead a group of a dozen people without some issues. Moses got two million people following him. But here's what happened, though. Within four to five weeks... 
They quickly forgot about the power of God on display when, when freeing them from Egypt. Their grumbling and their complaining distorted the truth of who God is. Let me read a passage from Exodus chapter 13. This is prior to this event we're reading about. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night, and the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. See, they followed this. This big pillar of cloud and smoke and whatever it is during the day, and then at nighttime it was a flaming fire. They can see this. And they're complaining. They're not looking for a solution. They just want to complain. And, 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 and this, this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire happened as soon as they left Egypt. See, as soon as they left Egypt, they came up to, everybody, and most people know the story, the Red Sea. Now what do we do? Moses, you know, he, he started praying to God like we all do, like, oh, God, please, help. God, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And God said, hey, bud, you got to move. Do something. And so he started walking in the water, and that's when the waters parted. You see, we have to move in order for God to move with us, in order to see where God is. Sometimes God wants us to take a step first before he shows us what's in that step. And maybe your step is in the wrong direction. That's okay. You're doing something. You're not just sitting here complaining or, or praying and wishing and God to move. When soon as they moved into the water, the seas parted, the Israelites passed through, and then the Egyptians come bearing down. They're chasing after them, and then the seas close over them. God defeated them. And he's this pillar of fire at night. And he's leading them. And they start complaining. Moses, Aaron, you, you, don't you guys remember all the food we had to eat and the bread? We had all this stuff. Oh, it was way better than what we got now. It, it wasn't better. But here's the thing. Even in their complaining, God said, okay, Moses, here's what we're going to do. I am going to miraculously feed everybody. I want to provide food for you because God is our provider and our sustainer. He provides for us. He gets us where we need to be, and then he sustains us in that area of life. And yet, two million people thought that they were better off as slaves. You know, a leader doesn't always have to tell you every second what's happening. There's faith in trusting a leader, right? Like, we have to trust the process sometimes. Jesus is our leader. If he told us every second of every hour of every day what he was doing for us, we would be lazy and we, wouldn't, we would no longer depend on him. We would expect whatever it is to fall into our laps. It's much easier to grumble and complain about a situation than it is to dig deep and see how God can lead us through the journey. 
Because it is in that journey that the transformation process happens in us. That God begins to show us what I'm doing. The Israelites had no idea when they were slaves for 400 years what God was doing was, I'm, I'm creating a nation out of you. I'm creating a nation so that when you get to the land I have for you, a land flowing of milk and honey, you will be strong and you will be able to fight the enemies who will come after you. But they didn't realize this. Real quick about complaining. Philippians chapter 2 says this. Do everything without complaining and arguing. James chapter 5. Don't grumble about each other. Proverbs 27. As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. This is a heart issue with the Israelites here. And it's tied to trust. Okay? In this provision, it, it, it's, it's, it's in God's provision that the process of sanctification takes place. And in this provision, we are to follow God's lead while at the same time becoming more and more like him. That's what he's wanting to do in us. See, his goodness flows to us and then through us and out to those around us so that others can experience the kingdom of God in the same manner that we are. So that we become more and more a reflection of him. That's what this is all about. And sanctification, that's a pretty big word, right? It's a fancy word for saying to become holy, to become more like God. To become more and more like the image of God. It's a process. And it's a never-ending process. It, it never ends in our Christian life. It's constant. Happening throughout every day, every week, every month, every year. When Jesus openly prayed to the Father. I love Ch John chapter 17. As much as I love all the other chapters that are my favorite. But in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, Jesus begins to pray to the Father in front of the disciples. And then he prays for the disciples, openly to the Father, for them. And then he prays for the future believers, us, openly, in front of the disciples. But here's what he says. Make them holy by your truth. He's talking to God in front of the disciples. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word which is the truth. That's sanctification right there. New King James says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is the truth. This is what Jesus was saying for the disciples, his disciples, and us. Father, make them holy by your truth. See, the thing about the truth is it doesn't waver. It doesn't change. The truth is the truth. It stays the same. It's constant. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is the truth. 
This is why we gather on Sundays, church, to be with a family of believers as we learn the truth from God's Word. So we can be one step closer to becoming the holy people He created us to be, to becoming the holy person He created me to be, you to be. That's why we come here, right? We come here because we all want something. We're looking for a better something, and we know we have, there's something in us, our relationship with Jesus, that says, it's over there. It's in that church. We choose to do it in this church. There's churches all over the place where people come and to be with a like-minded family of believers. And so when teaching the Israelites, listen to this, when teaching the Israelites that he wanted them to be set apart from all the pagan nations around them. So, so in the Old Testament, in the first five books, God sets all of these lists of rules, and this is where people say, oh, he's just, a, he's just a mean God. He doesn't want you to have any fun. He wants you to do this and not do that, and it's really strict, and this and that and the other. No, he's setting up a nation, and he's creating guidelines. He's creating parameters. Like as parents, when we raise our children, do we just let them just do whatever, or do we set guidelines for them, parameters for them? We teach them because we want what's best for them. That's what the Old Testament is all about when God was uh, teaching the Israelites how he wanted them to live. And here's what he says in Leviticus chapter 20. Set, your, set yourselves apart to be holy. Don't do what everybody around you is doing. All right? Set yourselves apart. I want you to be a holy people. For I am the Lord your God. Keep all my decrees by putting them into practice. For I am the Lord who makes you holy. This is the same prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father for us in John chapter 17. God, make them holy. Teach them your word that's the truth, God. This is what God was doing thousands of years earlier with the Israelites. See, we need to know God's word. We need to study it. It's beyond just a, a devotion in the morning. Devotions are good, but, but we need to set time aside to study and know God's word. Because first of all, that's the very first way how he speaks to us. If you've never heard God speak to you and you've always wanted him to speak to you, crack that book open. Get into it. <laughs> and then you know what you do? You say, okay, God... What is it that you have for me today? And when you read something and you go, wow, that, that's him speaking to you. See, we do this so that we have the same heart, so that we have the heart and mind of God. Listen to what uh, Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew. He's, Jesus, in uh, chapter 6, in Matthew chapter 6, he, he teaches about... Um, giving to the needy, giving to the poor, fasting and praying. He teaches the Lord's Prayer. Then he teaches about money and possessions. And then he goes into worrying, as if he had this idea that a lot of us would worry about things. And then he says this in, in verse 31. So don't worry about all these things. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? 
These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. All your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. That's what Jesus is telling us about the Father in heaven. Don't worry about this stuff. Listen, your Father will provide for you. Your Father will take care of you. You know, when, when, when we have a financial hardship at home, we don't, I don't even worry about it. I, maybe it's a little stressful, yeah. We had one a few weeks ago, and I was like, well, you know what? It's a good thing something else dropped in our laps because we're not going to use it for that now. We're going to use it for this. Thank goodness God already saw this happening. He t- when, when, when this becomes your way of living, like your mindset as a believer, God will show you how much he will take care of you because your trust is in him. And, and it's, it's, listen, it takes a while to get there. It doesn't happen overnight. I mean, we are warriors. We, we've got things that we've got, we've got, you know, financial issues and job issues and family issues and relational issues, and we worry and we worry and we worry. Give it to God. Let him show you how much he wants to take care of you. Because for this to happen, for us to have this kind of a, of a mindset as a follower of Jesus, we must do our part as well. It means that maybe you have to take a step in faith and then you'll see God move. See, when the manna fell from heaven, the Israelites still had to do their part. They still had to go collect it. They still had things to do. They had to put into action their faith in God as he provided for them. And God said this in in, in verse 4 of, of Exodus 16. Each day... The people can go out and pick as much, pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. Some of them, some of them didn't do what they were told. Some of them kept some. And when you read about this, it says, it says they're supposed to collect like a, a two quarts for each person. But but he says, those who gather uh, a lot will have just enough, and those who gather a little will have just enough. And then some of those kind of kept it and hid it a little bit, right? And it rotted, and maggots grew in it. Uh, they tested God, you know, I mean. And then, and then in this chapter, he teaches them about the Sabbath, the day of rest, where I want you to focus on me and just, just set a day aside where you focus on your creator. Don't go out and collect a manna. You don't have to do that. The day before that, collect enough, and it will last through the day. Some of them didn't do that, and they found out the hard way. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. See, it's a heart issue. Do you trust God? See, our obedience to God's ways begins in our hearts. Do we trust what God is saying? Do I trust that passage in Matthew? Do I trust that God will take care of everything for me? What shall I eat? What shall I wear? How am I going to pay the bills? Do I trust he's going to take care of that? I have to do my part. But do I trust 
him to see me through. See, everything, it's about trust. Like a few verses later in Exodus 16, uh, the people didn't follow the Lord's instructions on, on what to do with the manna, and they also didn't follow his instructions on the day of rest, the Sabbath. And God's response to Moses was this in Exodus 16, verse 28. The Lord asked Moses, How long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? I don't understand this. How, how, long, are they, how long are they not going to do what I'm, I'm telling them to do? I'm, I'm asking them to do. I'm providing for them, and they're not trusting the process. All God wants to do is bless us. But we have to do our part as well. We have to do our part. See, see trust in our creator was at the core of the relationship from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. It was all about trust. You, you can have all this, the best of everything I have for you in the Garden of Eden. Just don't eat from that tree. It was a trust issue. I, I, just, I want you to trust me. Trust me in this. Then, of course, the serpent, Satan gets in there, distorts God's word like he always does. You know, his strategy hasn't changed for 6,000 years. He's been, he's, it's the same strategy he always uses. Get you to question God's word. He's just getting really good at it. For our faith in God to grow, we must be obedient to what it is he is trying to teach us in this journey we call life. Faith in Jesus leads to obedience. The more I see God move on my behalf, Jesus move on my behalf, the more I want to obey what his word says. And obedience is all about trust. Trusting God to lead us, to teach us, and to provide for us through life. Trusting God is about surrendering our lives to him. When the people kept some of the manna because they, they, they didn't trust that they were going to have enough for tomorrow, they weren't surrendering. That's the equivalent to surrendering everything to God. When we ask God to take care of all of these problems, but yet we compartmentalize our problems, and we don't really mean that, we're not trusting him. We're not surrendering our entire lives to him. Surrendering means letting go to that which is in the world. What is it that you haven't let go of yet? What is it that you're still holding on to? What is it that is keeping you from becoming the holy person that God wants you to become? To, to become a holy person doesn't mean that we are perfect. We're not perfect. But to surrender our lives to him means that, God, I want you to know about everything. And I want you to help me with everything. And that means that now we begin to depend on the supernatural realm in God's, with God's kingdom in all we do. We no longer depend on our natural realm, which is where we live right now. We depend on the supernatural realm of God's kingdom to break into our natural lives and help us to surrender 
everything to him. And it starts with our hearts. Everything in the scriptures point to Jesus. From the, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is all the nourishment that we need, spiritual, mental, and really even physical. He takes care of all of that. In John chapter 6, Jesus said in reference to this manna, I am the bread of life. I am the food from heaven that has come down. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I will feed you. I will nourish you. I will provide for you. I will sustain your life to a level where you've never been before. So in closing, kind of wrap it up with this. When we, when we come to a place where we fully surrender to Jesus, right? Again, this doesn't mean that we become perfect. That's not what that means. It means that during this journey of life, we do not find ourselves grumbling and complaining when things do not appear to be going as we anticipated. See, I've often, like, when, when obstacles hit, I, 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 I try to take a step back and say, all right, God, is there, is there something else you want me to do? Is there, is there, is there, am I, I keep coming up against a roadblock. Is there something that I'm missing? Is there something, you know what I mean? I can, it creates that dialogue, and then he says, you know what? Right now is not the time for that, but I want you to kind of focus on this section of ministry for a minute. And that's where the, the, the excitement of the journey with Jesus is at. So it means we don't, we don't grumble, we don't complain when things don't appear to be going as we anticipated, but that we look for the opportunities to do good. We look for what it is Jesus may be wanting us to learn during the tension of what that process of transformation is looking like. Because sanctification, transformation, there can be some tension in there. Fully surrendering to God, there can be a little tension with that. It's a good tension if we press into it and rely on Jesus. As we transform more and more into the likeness of Jesus. I'll end it with this verse. Can't talk about transformation without reading Romans chapter 12. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Maybe that's what we need, right? Changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Amen? Let's pray. So, Lord God, I just thank you for this. I thank you for your provision for us. I thank you for the adventure that we have in you. I thank you, God, for, for some of the aha moments that just happened right now today with some, God. This transformation process, this sanctification process, becoming holy, becoming more and more like God.